0: what am I going to do? And uh, it all just happened. So I didn't care. I didn't care. It, it just became a journey. Kind of like a soul surfer going and finding his way. That's what I, I wanted to go and do. I wanted to go see the world and, and find myself.
1: So for you, the risk was like, it was the reward.
0: Yeah. But yeah. it was personal. It wasn't money. I didn't care about the money or, or trying to earn money racing. It, it became this journey of how far can I push myself and how good can I be? And how fast can I go over this distance that I thought you had to be absolutely crazy to do?
2: My goals for both Carbo and Arizona was to just get out there and nail the swim, don't hold back on the bike, and then just let the cards fall where they fall. And I did it. Had two of the best swims of my life with girls that I've never swum with. You know I'm 2 minutes off them in a in a half IM, potentially 4 minutes off Meredith in a in a full IM and just went for it.
1: That was Scott DeFilippis and Carrie Lester, and this is episode 140 of the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to this week's show. I'm Jess, your host, and today our chat with professional triathlete power couple, Scotty and Kerry took place in front of a live audience at Canyon Bicycles here in Carlsbad last week. It was a great crowd that gathered. Our friends from Jules' food brought their incredible sane vegan brie cheese beij and i whipped up eight pizzas from our latest high vibe pie cookbook and canyon provided us with everything we needed for an awesome night we are grateful with the likes of yam Ferdano, lionel sanders sarah crowley patrick Langa, and our guest today riding canyon's top of the line Speedmax, this german-made steed has certainly made its mark on the triathlon world Beach had a chance to take out one of their TT bikes for a spin uh, before the podcast, and we dig in about Scotty and Carrie's experience riding Canyon. Their mechanic has reported that it's the easiest bike he's ever worked on. Plus, you guys, the people over at Canyon are super cool. Beach and I walked in there on our last nothingness day, and not only did we get a chance to meet Felipe, who is a YTP listener, he graced us with an invite to record a live podcast in the showroom. We immediately thought of Carrie and Scott because we've been in contact with them for months and they're Canyon athletes. It just, you know, just keep taking the next logical step, you guys, and you'll see timing is always divine. And and this event, like, is just, it's such a good example of that. Um, You know, make connections and allow things to fall into place. Scotty comes from a long-distance running background. He ran for the University of Tennessee and thought Ironman distance triathlon was insane until he followed a trail of breadcrumbs that could not be denied, took a risk to discover a new life, and found himself a long professional career with over a dozen career triathlon podiums and an Ironman PR of 809 at Ironman Florida. As co-founder of Keep It Simple Coaching, it's clearer that for Scotty there's no other sport for him to live. Carrie's roots are steeped in sprint running. She qualified for the Australian Olympic Trials in 2000s, with no eyes on multi-sport. It was while she was working full-time in the insurance industry that she was introduced to triathlon. She jumped in and finished her first one in 18 minutes. Even for a sprint runner, she couldn't help but wonder that there had to be more to triathlon than 18 minutes. Race by race, she found her way to long-distance triathlon, reducing her career to part-time, and then eventually walking away to go all-in with Team TBB, the very same team that Scotty was training and it was there that they met, fell in love, and embarked on an adventurous life in triathlon. Carrie has nine Iron Distance titles to her name, and twice she has been second at Challenge Roth and Top Ten in Kona. These two took the win at Vontoumen in France earlier this year, or last year, 2018, and I have to say, I watched this YouTube video. This race looks incredible. I put a link in the show notes, so check it out. It gives you a great feel for this race and some footage of Scotty and Carrie and their double win. You know, it cannot be denied these two are a power couple and such a great match. You can just feel it when you're around them, and I think you'll agree once you listen that they were super transparent and willing to share in this episode. Thank you all for your support of the show. I want to give a shout out to all our Patreon members who have made a financial pledge. This helps us cover the costs related to producing the show, including traveling to our guests, and it weighs big in on our ability to keep it going. We were just recently up in Flagstaff over the new year and have a really, really good interview coming your way from that visit, so stay tuned for that. We got a ton of great feedback on last week's podcast with Talbot Cox. Apparently, he's got people juiced up to do more of what they love. also i want to welcome back susanna to team yogi triathlete she'll be torching the boston marathon course this april and then heading on to ironman canada this girl is smoking fast and i can't wait to see what she manifests from here also nicole we are psyched to welcome another local athlete from north county san diego nicole will be owning her first ultra marathon this summer I'm so psyched to have these high vibe ladies with us. It's really cool to see the local team and community building. It was very cool to have both Team Yogi Triathlete and Keep It Simple coaching athletes in the audience for this podcast. It's about growing the sport, assisting people with accomplishing what they never thought possible, doing what we love, and of course, all of it to create a better world. We're grateful to this community and to everyone that gathered at Canyon last week to produce our first, and certainly not our last, live podcast with two super cool professionals in the sport that we all love so very much, Scotty Filippis and Carrie Lester. It's completely normal. Yeah. <laughs> No, I want to thank you all for coming tonight. Um, This is super exciting. BJ and I, this will be episode 140 for us at the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We started this back in 2016, having absolutely no idea of what we were doing. I sat at the kitchen table when we owned a kitchen table for three days And watched YouTube videos. And now here we are with you fine folks with these amazing athletes here at Canyon North American headquarters. And I just, I couldn't be more in love with this, uh, with this event tonight. So thank you so much, Canyon. Thank you so much for having us here. Carrie and Scotty, we started an email chain back in May of last year. We were introduced by one of our other podcast guests, Jess Sarah, and now here we are. So, you know, timing is always perfect, and we've just kind of been staying in touch, and these guys travel during the summer, and we all just landed here perfectly. And then I would also like to welcome to the show Carrie's Bike. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm glad it's at a distance
3: <laughs> how a much good. use has that bike gotten <laughs> recently?
2: It's been worn in pretty well, yeah, not even twelve months old and it it's done a lot of work it's done a lot of work in a lot of places it's been around the world.
3: yeah, I actually took it out for a spin a, a similar bike uh, yesterday so it's my first experience on a canyon bike and you can take them for a test spins here. I went around on the 101 and it's Certainly, certainly felt more sturdy, more stable, Um, but that could just because it's a new bike and the bike I currently have is, you know, gotten its mileage on it. So I'm definitely in the market, but so what has your experience been with Canyon?
2: Uh, Well, both Scott and I were lucky enough uh, last year to be riding, you know, the top of the line bike, uh, you know, from Canyon and for us, you know, whenever we'll, in the last couple of years when we've been racing more, you know, in Europe and we, you know, we race over some pretty mountainous races, but then, you know, we race, of course, you know, the flatter um, courses as well. Mm -hmm. So for us, you know, we were always looking at being on the best bike, but we wanted to be on a bike also that we could race with in the mountains, but it also performed, you know, well on the flat courses as well. So Canyon... Clearly, were breaking through the market um, in the last few years, um, and we wanted to be on their bike. Uh, we wanted to ride it uh, last year, and we really tested it out in the mountains. And for me, you know, I'm not uh, super confident riding the more flatter courses. It's just not something that I uh, enjoy as much, I guess, as much as the. The hillier courses. So, at the end of the year, uh, last year, I chose to race a couple of dead flat races, Arizona and uh, and Indian Wells, to really kind of make myself feel comfortable on the bike. Because up until then, I was like, well, I'm I'm super comfortable in the mountains, and I'm I love the bike in every other way, but I really haven't had a good go on on the flat courses, and it's it's amazing. I it's super comfortable.
3: How did those two races turn out for you?
2: <laughs> they were actually my best bike splits. Uh, actually, the last three races of last year were uh, three of my best uh, bike splits. Two of the two were the fastest bike splits for the females. Um, Arizona uh, wasn't because I just got a little bit too excited, I think, and uh, um, yeah, lost a little bit of focus at the end there. But yeah, no, it was great. It's it performed you know, so much better than I expected. I've never really actually been comfortable time trialing in all honesty. Um, I've ridden a number of bikes, different brands, uh, and I have never been as comfortable as I was, uh, you know, on the, on mm-hmm. the canyon. Um, and you need to be comfortable when you're riding for two hours or three hours or five hours or, you know, longer in the mountains, so. Scotty, what's Scotty. been your uh, experience on the canyon?
0: Everything that Kat said is is spot on. I think two of the main reasons we were really attracted to it as well was how easy it is to travel with and work on. Uh, we have our mechanic in the audience, Gordon Yeager of Velo Hanger, so uh, he was able to. It's also been
2: the easiest bike for him to work on. We've exactly. had some
0: shockers. <laughs> so <laughs> some Gordon was, shockers. Able to, he was able to. <laughs> sorry. Gordon could show us how to work on it, and we took it away. We we're in Switzerland for three months, and. Never had to touch it for three months, and we did how many Ironmans? Two Ironmans plus Alpe d'Huez. So it's really an amazing bike.
3: And you only took one bike with you each, right? One bike.
0: One bike. bike. Yeah, Yeah.
2: we love the simplicity. And one set of wheels. I think we had maybe a no, sorry, two sets: sets. training set, race set.
3: they are pretty minimal. Pretty minimal overall. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: All right, well, let's back it up before uh, when you had your first bike, backing it way, way up to what brought you into the sport. You know, I think as as age groupers, we have this, like, fantasy, and sometimes, like, when we're working nine to five, and we're... we're f- just hemorrhaging financially to keep up with the support and, you know, take care of the kids and and pay the mortgage and all this stuff. We fantasize like, oh, wouldn't it be great just to be a professional triathlete? All you have to do is sleep and eat and train and that's it. Like, has anybody in the audience ever thought that or am I the only one? Okay, a couple a couple Yogi triathletes in the front row. So, oh, there's a... I see that Molly back there. I see you hiding behind Gordon. So I like to dispel that. You know, I like to dispel that myth because you guys are in the hustle, you know? It's, it's, it's a very competitive career that you've chosen. And I want to know why and, and when you chose it. Like, Scotty, you come from a long-distance running background. And what took you to triathlon?
0: When I was a kid, I... I would watch Ironman on Wide World Sports, didn't even know what it was. So from a very young age, I was intrigued. I would watched the Tour de France, I loved to ride my bike, but I couldn't swim. I was deathly afraid of the water. Uh, my father can't swim to this day, 70 years old, he can't swim. So it didn't help me any. Uh, but then as I got older and, and started surfing with my buddies and then I lifeguarded, it became more and more attractive. And then after college, uh, I ran at the University of Tennessee and I, I tried to do the, the um, Olympic development path which, which we've got going on here now uh, with Triathlon Gold is training out of the, out of the same pool as us and, and they take um, post-collegiate runners and Jared Evans, the coach, is, is trying to develop their swim and their bike. He's doing a really great job. I was one of the first sort of test athletes back in the early 2000s, it's developed a lot better now. We, we had a support system, but I was extremely overwhelmed. Couldn't swim. Um, looked at the travel of the ITU and the cost and decided uh, I'd rather just run. And then um, into my late mid to late 20s, I was managing a running shop for my brother in New Jersey and decided I wanted to have a go again but try Ironman. And uh, I caught a flyer Brett Sutton was developing Team TBB, and a guy by the name of Arlen McAfee, who started the Philam Triathlon Club, if you ever see Phil-Am. They'll be out here in Oceanside. They have a massive, massive presence. It's Filipino-American triathletes. And um, Arlen was a Filipino elite, and Brett's camp was in the Philippines, and he knew the, that Brett was looking for an American, particularly an American that wasn't a triathlete. <laughs> So, a test subject. A test subject. <laughs> For sure. So, uh, I had just committed to move to Florida, drove to Florida. Uh, I was there two weeks, and I got this email from Arlen, and this Brett Sutton was CC'd. And he said, Brett wants to talk to you. You know, if, if you're interested, he'll give you a look. So, I, <laughs> put, a, I put a plane ticket to uh, the Philippines on my credit card. I drove home. Stopped in Knoxville actually to see my best friend before his wedding because I was going to have to miss his wedding for this. And I went and I spent, uh, yeah, I was there after two days and he said, I'll, I'll give you a shot. And you've got three years. Can you give me three years? And I said, I'm, I'm single. I've got no debt. Yeah, let's do it. And uh, he was pretty much spot on. His advice to me was, he said, it, it takes most men three years to, to learn how to train. Ironman, and then it takes him another three years to learn how to race because we're complicated, much more complicated than the females. And he was spot on. <laughs> well, we all
1: know that, right, ladies? <laughs>
2: They're coming.
0: And then, uh, so yeah, three years. Well, I ended up spending. We spent five years with with Team TBB and Brett before the team broke up. But Carrie came into the picture uh, year four.
1: Mm, we're gonna get into that story, Carrie. You come from. Uh, Uh, short distance running you qualified for the 2000 Olympic trials and the 100 and 200 Mm -hmm. what took you from that to multi-sport
2: well (laughs) I think uh it wasn't uh long after I raced those trials in 2000 that I realized that I wasn't you know it it wasn't going to be a career for me um professional running um I, first, I I didn't have the discipline, one, um, to train. I was just... Hold on, hold
0: on. Tell them how quick you ran.
2: Uh, I think my my personal best for the 200, I always preferred the 200, uh, was 2390. And the 100 was 1170. So, they were my well, kind of, And I do, re- <laughs> I do remember those every now and then <laughs> when we're running on the track now and we're doing the 200s. You know, I'm cranking them through in... You know, forties most of the time. We do a lot of two hundreds. It's not just one. So, um, <laughs> just by the, by the way, um, but you know, I think you know, forty seconds. You know, I'm lucky to get down to. You know, if I do a thirty seven, it's like woo, I am flying. And then I think, holy shit, how did I ever do a You know, hit that twenty three ninety. Like, that's with the legs. I have. That, I still have the legs. <laughs> and that's and that
1: wasn't enough like for you to pursue it?
2: No, I mean, at that stage in my life, I had absolutely no interest whatsoever in triathlon. Mm. Uh, Didn't really know anything about it. Um, Didn't follow Hawaii, just had no interest in it. Um, And it wasn't until, you know, I I gave up running, I was working full time uh, for for an insurance company in Brisbane, in Australia. And I was, you know, I'm a, I'm an active person. I like to, you know, try and stay fit, and, you know, to do that, I was just going to the gym, and I would do like the, the step classes, and you know, whatever class I could do, and uh, lift weights. Um, but I was, you know, starting to become friends with some of the women there, and, you know, they were doing the local triathlon uh, series in Queensland, and. For that series, there's seven races. They're short. Um, There's like a super, super sprint. And then the longest, I think, was a...
0: a Is this the Gatorade series? The Gatorade
2: series. It's a 400-meter swim. Um, This is the longest one, 400-meter swim. I think the bike was 15 kilometers, 10 miles. And the run, I think, was five, maybe? I actually can't, can't remember. But so they kind of encouraged me to, you know, just try try it so I I did I went and bought my first bike out of the local uh, trading post which is like Craigslist and I paid $500 and I got the whole kit I got the bike I got the shoes I got the cleats I got everything Um, the bike was way too small and it was a road bike it was way too small Um, the shoes funnily enough fit But that was how I got started. And I did this first race. It took 18 minutes. That was my first triathlon, 18 minutes. And I was like, well, what do I do now? Like, I, was, I had gone to all of that effort and it was like 18 minutes over. Okay, okay, well, let's try something a little longer. So then I did the longer distance. Still, yep, a little bit bored. And then uh, I think, I did the Noosa Triathlon, which is, you know, one of the most historic Mm -hmm. races, you know, in Australia, you know, still today, and uh, that was probably what really hooked me, competing in Noosa. Um, It was an Olympic distance event, but just the, uh, it probably was the first event that actually really exposed me to the professional racing of triathlon. I mean, there is, there were professional races in the short series, but you know, Noosa is—it's a high, you know, it's a high-caliber event for the professional field, and it still attracts a, a great field today. So that was the one that—that that kind of hooked me.
3: And you were working this whole still working, time. still working full-time job. Yeah.
2: I didn't uh, stop working um, until 2012. So uh, I was still working quite early as racing as a professional. I just moved uh, places mm-hmm. in the in brisbane so i I didn't want to be in the city i changed jobs moved to the sunshine coast where the training was better i had more access to coaches pools it was just it was easier for for training and um yeah i was just competing at age group races working uh then i slowly cut the work back to part-time because i wanted to train a little more do some more races work just gets in the way work was starting to become a problem (laughs) uh so, yeah, I mean, I kept going until I started really becoming more interested in the long-distance racing. And I was training mostly with men, like, on the on the Sunshine Coast. And, you know, I would ride with them. And I was naturally strong at riding. It was the first thing that, um, you know, came pretty easy to me. And I could always swim. I, you know, I'm Australian. I grew up in the water. Never liked going to swim practice, though but I could swim um and then running that was the hardest one for me to to learn um obviously just from you know track you know I'm I'm a 12 second 24 second runner I don't want to run you know anything longer than a kilometer in in a training you know warming up in a on a track session that was enough for me so you
1: had to learn pacing
2: I had to learn pacing um but just really develop, really developing the whole aerobic system as well mm. um, to be able to handle, you know, um, an Olympic distance triathlon and then bridge that gap to, you know, the half Ironman racing and then again to Ironman racing. It was just, yeah, constantly um, trying to build that aerobic engine and strength as well mm. for running. You know, I, I never had it. So both of you... You know, you, you're introduced to triathlon. You go and
1: put an airline ticket on your credit card. Had you even raced at that point?
0: Yeah, 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 I had raced. You uh, had done some triathlons I, before yeah, you went right I, to Brett the Actually, the first one I did was at Oceanside. I came okay. from New Jersey here. Got my ass kicked. Uh, and then I went to Rhode Island seventy point three, and actually, oh, yeah. you were there.
2: We were there in the same race. Kaz
0: was there racing <laughs> in the pro. Field. What year was that? Twenty ten. <laughs> that was actually. Or twenty or not twenty? That
2: was my first real overseas kind of experience as a Rhode Island. It was, it in was in that. The, oh. actually
0: the race was a really cool. It race. was cool. I yeah. came over
2: and did um, Rhode Island and Racine. I think I had only just flown in. And yeah. so that Man, must have been the God, first year of No, but
0: I was in I was an, was it I was an age grouper. Yeah, it might have been the fir- first because it didn't last last two years or something. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Who won? Who won? Who won that
1: year? So you're racing it as a pro? <laughs> you mean I who, won out,
0: yes.
2: you mean I who won out of us? Yes. Oh yeah. We I did. don't know. Yeah, let's we should go back and look. We should go back
0: and look. That's really interesting. I'd
2: put a case of wine on me if it was.
0: If it was the same year. BJ's. I was a third age grouper. BJ's
2: pulling it up. <laughs> Stand by. I
0: was tw- 2009. 20, yeah. I think, was it
2: 2009? I think it was 2010. Might have been a year apart then. 2010, I think, for me. Yeah, might have been a year apart. Definitely for me.
1: So you're racing as an age group, Scotty. Right. Then, So you go over to Brett as an age grouper. Right. So when, you're taking a risk. This is what I want to get huge into risk. is like huge risk. You've got this, in a, a ticket from... Were you living in Jersey at the time?
0: I just moved to Florida to try okay. and have a go.
1: So a ticket to the Philippines is not cheap. And um, and then you are cutting down, like you're starting to pare down in the whole work thing. And, um, oh, Addison needs to eat. We have our youngest triathlete with us today. That risk, right? Because there's a lot about risk in this sport, risk of you know, for spending eight, how much is an, an Ironman these days? It's like $800 mm-hmm. or, you know, there's a lot of risk that goes into it. And so that risk that you took, Scotty, back then when you bought that airline ticket, do you, what was it that drove you to do that and move forward with it and take that risk?
0: Uh, well, uh, part of my story is that I was recovering from a divorce mm-hmm. at 28. So... That changes perspective on on life.
1: How did it change your perspective?
0: Well, you become fearless. No Mm -hmm. kids. Mm -hmm. Reality check. You know what do you? You know I love the song by Tim McGraw. In my next forty years, mine was like in my next thirty years. (laughs) (laughs) You know I listened to that song at twenty eight, and I was like, what am I going to do? And uh, it all just happened. So I didn't care. I didn't care. It it just became a journey, kind of like a soul surfer. Going and finding his way. That's what I I wanted to go and do. I wanted to go see the world and and find myself.
1: So for you, the risk was like, it was the reward.
0: Yeah, but it was personal. It wasn't money. I didn't care about the money or or trying to earn money racing. It, It became this journey of how far can I push myself and how good can I be? And how fast can I go over this distance that I thought you had to be absolutely crazy to do? Because the very first time I watched an Iron Man, I said, "No way, I'm never doing this." Yeah, I remember yeah. B-
1: being a, ki- a a kid and watching the Iron Man, and my dad being like, "You see those people?" And I was like, "Yeah." He goes, "Those are crazy people." <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I remember that;
1: those are crazy yeah. people, and I'll never forget that. And I yeah. mean that I remember that forever. And there was always something about that. I was like. Like I'm a crazy yeah. person. I want to. I want to do that too. So for you, the risk was like the reward. Like you were, you were really discovering this new life and what's possible and where are your limits and e- exactly. And yeah. I think you're still finding those. Like you're still on that journey.
0: Yeah, I'm 39. Turned 39 yesterday. Happy birthday. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> it's hard. It's getting faster. Part of what I was saying about Brett was he said it would take three years. Most take six. We're going to do it in three. And in 2012, Kaz and I just started dating, and um, I went 8.09 in Florida and and lost to Andrew Starquist by two and a half minutes. And I finished, and my dad and I sat down, had a beer, and I said, I can retire. Never thought I'd go that fast. So, yeah, there's still something inside of me. I, I haven't won. I've been second, third... I still think I can win, but Father Time is catching me. Some days I feel 19, some days I feel 39. Right. You know? But I'm still driven and I still love the day to day. But I'm not going to be 42 still going after it. At some point you have to go, okay, it's time to pass it on to someone else. Yeah. Pass the knowledge and the life that we have and and pay it forward to the next generation.
1: But you found what you love and you're doing what you love. For sure. Yeah. And a
0: life and a partner. that. You know, from the opposite end of the world. <laughs>
1: yeah, I know. We're gonna I wanna talk about that. So, Carrie, for you, you eventually had to make take that risk to leave the paycheck and pursue this full time. You were obviously showing potential. Um, you were you were loving it, you were getting into it. Like where was the risk for you? Were you were you going back and forth or was it just one day like I'm in, I'm all in?
2: I think you know it's it's funny when I actually I've answered this question a lot of times, and I don't think I've ever said um, that for me. It was uh, the risk was probably doing something that my parents didn't expect me to do. The financial risk was, you know, that was certainly you know a lot for me because I I was always working. I had a paycheck coming in every you know two weeks, um, so. Losing that financial security was um, probably, that was the biggest risk for me, what I thought was the biggest risk. Um, where was I going to get the money from? How was I going to support myself? Um, was I good enough to be able to, to do this full time and actually make a living out of it, like a comfortable living? I don't want to live on someone's floor, you know? in my 30s and 40s, you know. I want to, you know, be able to do it properly and, you know, make a career out of it. So how, how was I going to do that when, yeah, how's I going to get the money? And, you know, I've grown up in a home where um, my parents always wanted me to go and study, uh, and I did. I um, have my bachelor's degree in um, business management and marketing. And, you know, they... Always kind of pushed me into you know doing something or studying something that you know I was going to be able to use that was the important thing and business business is the way it has business is business what you business is what you need to focus on so I went and did it I, um, business management and marketing so it was for me how do I convince them that what I'm doing is going to be successful not you know, not world championship standard, but that I'm okay and that I'm I'm doing something that you know it, I'm able to support myself. It, it's a job. Like they didn't see it as a job, mm-hmm. so it was yeah. That that was the risk. Like, how do I get my parents to see that it's all it's all okay and that you know I'm 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 good enough to be able to make the money that I'm not going to be making when I'm sitting behind the desk. So, so did yeah. that, did
1: that make you, did that like feed your hunger to succeed
2: or did that put a lot of pressure on that you? That was the pressure. That was, it held me back a little, um, you know, definitely when I was approaching the point that I was making that decision to stop working um, and quick little backstory, Um, When I really started getting into long distance racing, um, I was training, I started training a little bit with uh, Caroline Steffen, who was living on the Sunshine Coast. And she was at the time with Team TBB, same as Scotty. And uh, I was, you know, wanting to get better. And I asked her, oh, hey, like, what are you, who do you suggest maybe I go to about coaching? And of course, she suggested that I contact Team TBB, who back in the day, many probably don't really know much about the team. Um, if they're quite new to the sport. But Team TBB, you know, in 2009 to, you know, 2014, 14. 14, like they were the, the best team around. Is that the
3: Chrissy? They Chrissy? would no, go after no, Chrissy. After Chrissy. just after. Just after Chrissy.
2: But they would, you know, clean up in races every weekend mm. around the world. Mm. Um, and it wasn't just because of Brett, who was, you know, the main coach. It was they had coaches And... Um, I was put on one of their sub coaches, and that's kind of how I got into Team TBB. Um, met Brett. Um, he came to a camp on the Sunshine Coast. Um, met Scotty, and Brett was the one that said, "Okay, well, if you want to have a go at it, like, you've got to quit. You've got to quit your job." So there was kind of a few things that happened at that time, and then I just had the chance
3: did that flip was that the turning that journey? kind of that, the bit of that was a bit of a switch yeah. and
2: as that happened i went and raced um challenge cans at the time which is now i man cans uh, and i went and raced that and at the time i think the win was 20000 euro um and i won and i was like i'm out not that that was going to retire me, you know, you can't live like, right. off 20000 but that was like my, okay, you've got a shot for, a, you know, yeah. a year or so. You've got a little bit of comfort there. Um, and then so, I know
1: when we were talking, we had coffee last week, we were talking, you also raced Kosumui, Uh-huh. And then you Another had,
2: well, very well paid race.
1: Yeah. And so you kind of had these two like bang, bang. Yep. That was it. And so that had to have been fuel to
2: keep going. Yep. Right. And in that time, my parents were still like, "Oh well, like, when are you coming home?" Like, <laughs> right. eh. they still have my, you know, all of my things, like all of my pots and pans and plates. They still think that maybe I'll come home, but they're they're fans now. They've they've we've converted them. Oh, that's but uh, <laughs> it was it was funny initially.
1: So let's talk about the moment you fell in love. So who do you remember the moment that you guys? Like, do you remember the moment that you saw him? Like, I
2: remember the moment I, I saw him I remember at the moment that I saw him. Yep.
0: Well, it's funny because Caroline and Dave <laughs> were trying. I was coming to the sunny coast for the winter, for the summer, <laughs> Australian summer. And Caroline and Dave had, had thought that Carrie's roommate was a perfect match for me. <laughs> and then the first swim that Kaz shows up late, of course, she walks in. Yeah, you know, she, she was shower. in the shower. Yeah. <laughs> So we're all swimming.
2: Brett, Brett used to say we're on Sunshine Coast time.
0: She is on Sunshine Coast time. Yeah. So we're swimming. And I remember looking up and I'm like, who's that blonde? Like, is that, I, didn't, I didn't know who it was. And then I got home, figured out who it was. And I was staying with Caroline Dave. I said, I reckon I like that, that Kaz.
1: Yeah, not the roommate. I want the other one.
0: Yeah. But funny enough, it was because of Kira that we got together. Because I chased her around for two months. She kept saying no. She didn't want to go out with me. And then finally, we went on a double. I played date. hard to get. So yeah. we went on a double date with my roommate, and Kira, and Carrie so and I. So Kira's the
1: one so you were supposed they to be the one that, that yeah, set us up. Yeah. So do you remember that? Like, did you see him in the pool that yep. day? Or oh, you did.
3: You looked the other way. <laughs> yep. <Yeah.
2: laughs> like, she was probably it? laughing
0: at my swim stroke.
2: Yep. <laughs> I was like, what the is this <laughs> okay. we um, called it the
0: animal stroke
2: we call it, yeah it was uh lots of arms <laughs> his, le- his legs were tied but there was arms going every which way um, <laughs> survival swimming but yeah it was uh we met we didn't really speak much yeah. uh and we went on a few rides together and still like kind of didn't really speak i guess i'm, I'm a little shy and he was a little shy and it uh yeah, it wasn't really until we went out with um, Kira and, and Andreas, that Candy, his name is, um, that we actually started speaking. And then it wasn't too long
1: after that that you guys moved into a luxury apartment in Switzerland, correct?
0: Correct, yeah. Because you
1: left, <laughs> did you, you yeah, left yeah. and went to Switzerland.
0: So I, I left, my visa was <laughs> up, and I came back here to race Wildflower, Camp ended, so how, how the team worked was, you were in camp from February to March or April, and then end of May or early June, we all got together in Switzerland and spent anywhere from 8 to 12 weeks, depending, athlete-depending, race schedule, uh, money, who had how much money you had. Switzerland's not a cheap place. And then the Kona camp would start, and, and wherever the Kona camp was, some would go to train alongside of those preparing for Hawaii, Um, but I'd come back here and then I went to New Jersey to check in with the family, and then right before we had started seeing each other, Kaz had asked me if um, I had a a, a place to live in Switzerland, and I said, oh, yeah, actually, I've got a really cool place, I think. (laughs) And uh, it turns out that I got to Switzerland a month before her, and, and we rented uh, an apartment off of our very good friend, Andrew Johns, who was, Andrew was European champion, I think second or third at Clearwater 70.3 Worlds, unbelievable athlete, retired early with back problems. AJ became a builder, and so his first project was this barn and, and he lived above the barn with his family, and he was converting the units below and in front of the front of the property into apartments. And so I get there, and and there are walls missing, and there are no appliances, nothing. So I'm training, and then at night uh, laying brick with AJ. <laughs> and then Kaz arrives, and I'm like, uh, we got to stay with with AJ upstairs for a little while. And she walks in, and you know, Manu, the Tyler is in there, like, you know, <laughs> with, with A.J. Little tile. Yeah. Like one play, one. We, yeah. <laughs> yeah. At, at hundred Swiss francs an hour. <laughs> so anyways, we ended up getting in the apartment and it was in a really cool place. And, uh, and that was, the our place became like the, the party house. We had like four or five parties that summer, you know, <laughs> gatherings, Swiss day, it's 4th of July. Everybody came to our place. Kind of like now, here everybody comes to our place here. <laughs> that, was the, that was the beginning in, in Switzerland. And that was a really, remi- like, at that summer, Team TV peaked. Nicholas Spierig won the Olympic gold. Caroline was Dominated. a contender. Mary Beth Ellis was a contender in Hawaii. We had two guys, the top ten. Um, four or five of us were all running under 245. Brett used to call us the White Canyons. <laughs> Kaz had come on board and won cans, and the team was amazing, and, and we peaked that, that year, and that summer was probably the most memorable in, ser- in terms of the, the team unit, that, and I'll never forget it.
1: And you guys go back there every year, you go back there every summer, and you still stay with AJ. We and
2: stay, now that you've built we, the walls we stay in, and and, well, inter- we haven't stayed in that same unit. <laughs> um, that one was rented out uh, long term but every every summer we go back we we stay in one of his units and every time we spend the first day or two like redoing it in some way <laughs> whether it's finding furniture or you know finding a bed it where it's just something that happens every year, so we're already thinking, okay, well, this, well where are we going to stay? Hmm. Well, which, what are we going to have to, what are we going to have to like carry through the village this time? Um,
0: the, we're we super grateful. It. AJ is one of our best friends, and we love it. We yes, go back just in, in case AJ listening. Yeah. Exactly. Please don't rent no. the room out. No, 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 no. no, no. Well, and, well, hopefully, we left the last one like schmick, and it'll be perfect for us <laughs> when we go back. But
2: we love it because he knows. He knows. Well, he's um, why we go back. Yeah. If
0: it wasn't for AJ we would not have kept going back.
1: But, so you guys are over there in the summer, you're racing over there in the summer. What is it about the European racing? Like, what do you find a difference or a love maybe for the European racing as opposed to like the domestic U.S. racing? The vibe, the feel, the courses, the prize purses. Like, what is it about the European racing? We don't have a lot of access to that, especially as age groupers, like if we can Whatever's get an Ironman that we can drive yeah. to, right? Like it, not a lot of us are getting over there. So what is the race environment like?
0: Well, we do most of the racing in France. Any weekend in France, there is a race. Like some crazy French guy found a mountain and a lake at the bottom and was like, let's figure out how to do a triathlon. And seriously, every weekend there's some nutty race going on. But we've gotten into, we we both love Nice, fallen in love with the city. We have friends there now. Jackie, who, is, who acts as a bit of a manager with the race organizers, they help us with money to get there. The purses aren't huge in some of the smaller ones like we did in Ventura this year. Unbelievable race. Um, but they helped us get there. And we use that in preparation for Ironman France. And then we go back to Alpe d'Huez every summer. And we spend a week or we ride from Lausanne, and that was Brett's old old trip. You ride from Lausanne, you do the race, and then you ride home.
1: What kind of,
2: what's that distance?
0: It's 250 miles, I think, total each way. It's
2: two days of riding to get there, same and same back.
0: Overpasses, you're going over a few. And then you race. And then you race. And then you ride back. And then you ride back. So we use that for, for preparation for Umrah.
2: Those are the trips that, like, the stories... There's Damn. a lot of stories. Give us give us one. No, no, no. Why?
1: <laughs> we asked them we last all, week if there was anything that was off limits.
2: Stories with uh, <laughs> just old teammates stories. and just, you know, taking wrong turns and being ex- escorted by police and... <laughs> Going through the tunnels and, and just... You're on just, the freeway yeah, you're just, not supposed to
0: be on the freeway. Yeah,
2: just those things. <laughs>
1: More lost. of like, it sounds like it's like...
0: Adventure racing.
3: You've got thing. like oh,
1: some t- 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 adventure yeah. living over there. That
0: period in Switzerland is where we build the base for the fall on the bike. Because you're living on top of a mountain. Every day you have to climb home, which is, you know, you're living at 4,500 feet. The valley floor is 1,500. So it's a nine mile climb from there. Or if you're if you're in you're going around Stadt or you're not going all the way to the bottom, you still have to get six K home from from the Sepe, which is the little village below us. So that period really lays the base mm. for, for the rest of the year, particularly for Cali, for Hawaii, and that's out of Brett's playbook. He taught me that. He did it for years with his athletes, and he does it in Saint Moritz, but differently. Now, with, with Daniela, you know, they're based in, in St. Richard's, which is the other side of the country. But we've just fallen in love with Lausanne, and we have friends there now, and, and we continue that trip to Alp Duez. Because we love it, it's my favorite week of the entire year. Um, uh, this year when we arrived and, they, and we did an interview, and they asked, why do you keep coming back? And I said, the first week of January, I'm already thinking, I can't wait to go back to Alp Duez. I love it there. You know, it's, it's like, it's like the bonsai pipeline of cycling, nice. that, that area.
1: How big is that race?
0: In terms of numbers? Yeah. Massive. It's yeah. a full festival. They have a full, full festival.
2: festival. Five days of stuff.
0: Kids, <laughs> ra- kids races, duathlon, uh, 5K run, and then there's a long race and a short race. Yeah. Very cool race.
1: All right. I want to switch gears just a little bit and start talking about like our state of racing. Like. One of the things that we work a lot, like we see a lot in in our athletes sometimes and, and other people that we interview and talk to, is this idea of not getting caught up in the competition, like really staying and racing your race. And I think being able to race our own race really has to do with being present in that moment and just paying attention to what it is in that moment that we're doing and not getting caught up with, you know, all the bikers that are passing us. And so my question to you is, do you have advice? And you, know, you guys are, are coaching age groupers and pros as well? I'm just age group.
4: Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Yes. yeah but as, pros. As could, <laughs> yes, right, so do. the
1: human condition is, yep. you know, pro and age groupers. Like, we're yeah. all subject to it. So what is your advice for an athlete who is getting caught up in that stuff? Or, like, they show up in transition and they're like, my bike is a piece of shit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the whole comparing yourself to, you know, other athletes or, or what other people ride or what, you know, what this person has, you know, that's going to make them faster than me, like that whole kind of mentality and, you know, I mean, we can't help it. We're all on social media, right? We all see it. It We all, we all do it. We all compare ourselves to other people, you know, at certain times, I think. And the only advice, you know, I... I can, I can give to people is just to always just, you know, stay in your moment, but just know your own limits and know your own goals and just keep telling yourself kind of what they are. Don't get caught up in other people's numbers. Stay off Strava. Stay off, I don't know, I don't know what people use. I don't even, I don't log stuff on Strava. I know a lot of people do, so I'm not familiar with how people see other people's paces and you know all of that stuff. But the more that you can focus on yourself particularly in training and just being constantly practicing looking at, you know, your numbers and you know getting home and if you if you're reviewing your workouts, don't go and then compare it to someone else because what it doesn't what what does that achieve? It doesn't mean anything. So it's just always being mindful of where your thoughts are going and what you're doing and what is, what's that going to serve, you know, for you. Like how does that serve you, looking at other people's data or paces and, you know, you need to have that competition. So it is important to look at it, you know, to give yourself, you know, something to strive for. Um, but don't obsess with it. I...
3: Yeah, you need that goal. You need, you need the goal, you, but you do you, but, need them. But, but detach from, yeah, D-
2: detach the emotion from it. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, we all do. We all look at other athletes and go, "Well, I, I want to beat that person." Okay. Well, how are you going to do it? You're going to get better. You're going to get better
3: at your at rate. Your rate. You, the thing is, we don't understand that they've had what their history is and where they are as athletes, or what they've, what what they've struggled with. You don't
2: know what they're doing. You don't know what they're doing or what they're um, training. You. you, you just you don't know. You can only control what you do. So, do the best you can.
0: I think. I think you need to train where train where you are, where you where your level of fitness is, mm-hmm. and race where your level of fitness is at that moment. And like you say, remain present. Mm. And and part of why we love the races in France is because it's truly you against the course. There is zero drafting. It, it, it's. At Not the work. end of the day, you're, you're finishing this unbelievable event on your own will.
1: For you, Scotty, how do you stay present? Like, what's presence to you?
0: You know, uh, Jerry Rodriguez from Tower 26 has been a big influence on us, mm-hmm. and, and BJ mm-hmm. swims sw- follows his program, and he talks a lot about that. It's confidence. The more confident you are, the more you can remain present. If you're not confident, your mind's gonna go hey why. Yeah,
1: you're gonna be the servant yeah. to that and, mind. And
0: when we started dating, and and people who know Brett, he's he's the best triathlon coach in the world. For sure. Hands down. He's a he's a brilliant mind. He looks at you like a racehorse, sees how you're reacting to the training and the racing. When we first started dating, he sat us down together and he said, Okay. He's the trainer and you're the racer. I would chew through the sessions day after day after day and no problem, like, he, he would just hammer me and I loved it, I couldn't get enough of it. But come race day, I was a jittery horse, still am, I'm still a nervous horse, the more confident I am in the numbers that I've hit in training, then the more settled down I am. Or if I taper too much. That throws me off. I've got to keep going. I've got to keep moving. Even to the day before the race, I've got to get in the water and swim. 4K makes me feel good. If I don't swim or I don't do a few efforts, I feel terrible. And the gun goes off, and and it's getting faster and faster and faster. So it's getting harder and harder to remain present. Because, like, bang, there's so many good guys now. But Kaz is, she's not the trainer.
2: Never have been. But the gun goes (laughs) off,
0: and it's like, wham, wham. Get out of my way. And it's cool to watch her. Like in Arizona, Arizona this year was one of the first times where I've... I'm there in Hawaii every year, but for some reason in Arizona, watching her race this year was really, really enjoyable because it it was like her her piece of art. She was out there like a composer. It's interesting because Heather Jackson said she had her best Yeah, both of them. And going at it, it was so cool to watch Yeah,
1: And you, um, I heard you, because we were watching it, streaming it, um, and I heard you, right after you crossed the finish line, Mike interviewed you, and you had mentioned that you're not a big fan of flat courses, but everybody was like, look at that bike split, like you're obviously, I think Didi Griesbauer was actually commentating, and she was like, I don't know what she's talking about, because that bike split was smoking fast, but you were talking (laughs) Canyon Speedmax, right? (laughs) But you were talking about how you were swimming on Meredith's feet, on Meredith Kessler's feet, and that was something that you had, I mean, aspired to. And so what was that like? Like here you are having that swim that you wanted to have. Like that just set the tone.
2: Yeah, I i was, I was disappointed after Hawaii. Um, not that I didn't finish, it was that, you know, I – still didn't have a the swim there that i knew i was capable of having so after that whole you know that was done you know i you know, was doing uh 70.3 carbo the the last few races on the schedule were carbo um then arizona because i didn't finish hawaii carbo arizona and then the question mark was over indian wells if i you know wanting wanted to do it um but my goals for both Carbo and Arizona was to just get out there and nail the swim, don't hold back on the bike, and then just let the cards fall where they fall. And I did it. Had two of the best swims of my life with girls that I've never swum with. You know, I'm two minutes off them in a, in a half Ironman, potentially four minutes off Meredith in a in a full man and just went for it. Probably cost me in Arizona a little bit. Now when I think about the effort that I probably had to put out to gap because Meredith did gap me a couple of times and I got back on her feet. So that effort um, probably cost me there in the bike when I started to kind of get a little bit, lost a little bit of focus and a bit of strength there. But generally, the aim was to get the swim like nail the swim aggressive focused get you know do what I know I can do on the bike I don't really feel like a lot of races I haven't put out what I know I can I, I do the numbers in training I see them all the time but I don't I haven't done it in a race so why you know why hadn't I done it so it's just you know what screw it I'm, I'm going for it and I've got nothing to lose
3: so that switch because from Kona to Arizona, there's not much time, so training's probably not gonna be a big factor. So what is this what what is the the essence of that switch we, in the mindset? We actually
2: did do a couple of sessions um after Kona. I some did key sessions. A couple of yeah. key sessions. Um some pretty yeah, pretty hard bike sessions. Out of the in norm there. then
3: then you know what uh it was? no
2: they were standard kind of track sessions, like long track sessions. Um and I nailed them like best ever. So for me, that was, I, I was just building confidence still. I didn't really let the whole disappointment of Kona kind of interfere with that. Um, and like Scotty said, you know, Jerry Rodriguez has been a really good influence on us in that mindset um, and making that switch. And, you know, I just keep remembering those words, you know, from him. And how do you
1: stay present? Like, what, is, the, is, it, is there a technique or is it... What is it like to you? What is presence?
2: Yeah, I think. Well, when I'm not present, uh, <laughs> you know it. I you, I certainly know it. And you know, I think I when I'm confident, like Scotty said, when the confidence is there in yourself and in your train and, and in myself and in my training, when it's there, it's much easier to stay, you know, within yourself. But when I'm not present and, you know, the thoughts, I'm starting to look at, you know, like where everyone else is and I'm, starting, I'm starting to think about, oh, I didn't drink this or, geez, I should have eaten more yesterday or I couldn't stomach this for breakfast or my old days are ruined. You know, everything starts just compounding the thoughts that go through my head. So for me, that's the point where, okay, well, that's got to stop. So it's either, if it continues, I'm either going to pull over and I'm going to end the race or you're gonna make the switch, make the mind switch, and, and keep going. I actually use, in a race situation, I would, if I was running or riding, um, I would really use the aid stations a lot. If I'm speaking specifically about a race course, I use the aid stations as my timeout, and um, regroup, you either have the chance to make the switch and focus on numbers, I do use power, And I will start kind of focusing on just what I'm doing, uh, Mm -hmm. to kind of bring myself back into that Mm -hmm. moment, make sure I'm, I've eaten enough Mm -hmm. that I've drank enough because that's when kind of, when you're low on calories, that's when the mind starts to wander. And then all of a sudden you're not present. Yeah. So that's one of the first things that I use the aid stations and regroup. Okay. Am I on top of the nutrition? Let's kind of get you know, I think your it's, head in the right it's space. It's
3: so important. I, th- I think as age groupers or in pros too, just that feeling of, of the what ifs, like going into the future and the past. And it's, it, it takes a big effort, I feel, to, to pull yourself out of that, Massive to say effort. it's actually fuel. Like if we get some nutrition in our body, maybe just start there, getting a, a little fuel in. Because I feel athletes get to a point in, a, in the race and they're like, well, I'm okay. I just don't want to cramp. I don't want to have to worry about taking anything in or stop at the aid station. And they don't even sort of realize that their mind is, is drifting off. Mm-hmm. Like, it just kind of automatically happens. So I think the calories are such a big, big important influence on bringing you back to your capacity at that mm-hmm. moment.
1: And I think making a habit of asking yourself is, what I'm doing right now, is this serving me? Mm-hmm. Is it serving me? So whether that's during a race or whether that's in your training or whether that's when you're hitting snooze and you just want, like want to say, is this serving me? Is this serving me for where I want to go in my life? And the more we make decisions that are aligned with what we want to create, where we want to go in our life, I think that's a way to build confidence. Sure. Because now, because because when we're moving in alignment with our goals, our dreams, our wants and desires, the evidence is going to show up. Like, we're going to have that confidence. Like... Scotty, you were saying like you were getting confidence because you you were like nailing times and your times were getting better, right? So because you were making decisions to, you know, chew those workouts, just chew them up. And when we go for it, like when we go all in and we go for it and we do what we love in this life, confidence will come as a byproduct. Do you agree with that?
2: Yep, I agree with it. The confidence for me, it's, I mean... You've got to practice it like every day. Yeah, oh, yep. 100% in everything. Yep. That's yep. what so you show up yes. every day. And that's the first step. Show up every day. Do the sessions every day. And then you just kind of all of a sudden it just starts happening. The I know momentum. I know mm-hmm. early, you just start building the momentum. Mm-hmm. And, and we do it every year. You know, we start at the same point every year. We're going out, running, riding, swimming now. Confidence is a little lower because we're not, you know, we're not as fit. But again, like the more we've done this, every year we keep coming back and we keep doing the same thing, building, building, building. And then by July, August, everything just kind of starts to fall into place in how we feel about ourselves. And then you're building the confidence in training, so you're just starting to feel fitter, and everything kind of just starts kind of aligning. Mm-hmm. And then you can go out and race, and then you either have a race where all of the stars align, and it's, a, you know, you have a cracker of a race, and then confidence, bang.
0: But, you know, <laughs> to add to that, Kaz, part of it is we remove ourselves from society. Wow. Well, yeah. We go Honestly, away. yeah. Seriously. We live a very balanced life here. Some of our friends are here. We're normal people. We drink, we drink, we have fun, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but there's a three-month period where…
2: You wiped yourself is off. Is that there. normal, talking about normal?
0: <laughs> yeah. We hibernate, and yeah. we need that three months.
1: That's, your, that's like focus time. That's focus time. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And everything, every ounce, by, by, the ha- by six weeks in, you're thinking you're halfway. As a magical of a place, it is over there. It's hard, it's not easy. There's no car, you're walking to the pool, you're walking to get your groceries. But that's you, what it takes like, to remove all those no distractions. distractions at there's no distractions, yeah. There's no distractions, and if it. you wanna to get to that level, sure, there are, there are exceptional people that, that don't need that, but for us it works, that three months away.
1: What motivates you when you don't wanna do it? <laughs> how, do you, how do you show up?
0: Uh, I mean, I don't want to say it's like um. I mean, sure, I'm addicted to exercise. <laughs> we all are. I like to move. Everyone's know? addicted. <laughs> I, I, I like to move, and I know that nine out of ten times, I like to move even my body. I'll, even though you don't want to I do like it, to you feel body. good. You you come out the other end feeling better.
1: So, do you ever go like if you're kind of feeling a little lethargic or whatever, like oh, I'm another another hour of sleep, got to walk to the pool. Do you ever go mentally to how you're going to feel at the, like, I know I'm going to feel good at the end of the workout. Do you go, is that a piece of motivation?
0: At this stage in our career, for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: We were with a friend last night, um, Gary Staines, who is a very good friend of ours. He was an Olympian, four minute, sub four minute mile, 211 marathon runner. His son, Thomas, actually, I'm going to plug Thomas Staines, is up and coming 800-meter runner, 21 years old, ran 140... 140... 145.9 or something last year. So he's getting he's there. 20. His mom, Linda, Gary's wife, was an Olympian as well in the 4x4. I think she ran the 800 too. So Gary was more middle distance. Anyways, Gary's now 56. 55. 55. And he still has to run. He's got bum knees. But he runs like three days a week. But he's gotten into cycling. And he lives in Colorado Springs, gets on the bike, and every morning, if the weather's bad, he's on the trainer in the basement. And Linda walks downstairs and looks at him like, what are you doing? And he's like, <laughs> it's who I am. I love to suffer because suffering gives me perspective. And that's how he starts his day. Mm. So for me, that's, that's, what, that's what will keep me moving when I retire from racing. Uh, I, I have to keep moving. What about
2: you, Carrie? Yeah, i as a, as a racer. W- well.
0: Yeah, interesting. That's an interesting point.
2: I mean, for me, the guilt of not <laughs> doing the workout is like, that's gotta be number one on the list. Hate it. Um, the only times, you know, like, I, if I'm not m- motivated to do something, I mean, I used to have like real bad patches almost depressive patches I would go into for a couple of days I just didn't want to do it didn't want I didn't want to train um so that's probably what maybe my development was a little slower um because I spent you know probably a couple of years you know f- in between coaches and I didn't really have anyone to kind of show me the way um and recognize that you know that was kind of me and I just lost interest and didn't become motivated and um you know I didn't it was like, oh if you don't want to do the workouts today, oh okay. I didn't have someone mm. kind of giving me the workouts and like I don't want to let Scotty down. That's for me now I mean I don't want to let him down. Um and, and not just him, but some other coaches, I guess as I matured and uh that was I didn't want to let them down either. But yeah, I mean, fast forward a couple of years now, not doing the workout, if I don't do it, for me, it's the guilt of, you know, yeah, not doing it. I mean, I'm doing it because I want to be a better athlete. So if I'm not doing the workouts, then how am I going to become a better athlete? So that, that just eats at me. I'm not doing the work. If I'm not willing to do the work, then, yeah, I don't like that. I don't like that sound. Yeah, so, well, it's,
1: it's, is this serving me?
2: Yeah, right? And so guilt can be a motivator. Anger can be sometimes, a motivator. Sometimes that motivation, like it, it's real. Like if you're really not motivated, sometimes, you know, it's you've got to think, well, maybe I am really tired. So there is sometimes where you've got to look beyond that. Um, and um, sometimes it does serve me to be like, you know what? I'm out. And I actually do check out for a day. Mm-hmm. I'm at, a, I'm at a, about a day now. I used to check out for a couple of days. But now I may check out for a day, um, but that's it. By the end of the day, I'm like, all right, let's <laughs> go.
3: But that, that comes from experience too. So that, that shift, the, the shift you're talking it's about of taking shift, a day off yeah. or pushing through, because we get that a question a lot. How, when do I know when to push, right? When do I know it's just being, you know, a, a pattern and when can I jump mm-hmm. in that space and gap and say like, I need to... I need to get out. Like, yeah. I need to get out the door, even if I just lace up my shoes and take a walk down the street. There's that fine line. And I think a lot of people don't know how to walk it, right? And don't have the experience. They don't have the, you know, it's they're experience. new to the sport. I think mm-hmm. experience is a big thing. But I, I, I think the question comes if you don't have experience, right? And you don't have that coach to have you, give you that perspective from the outside. How does one athlete who's coaching themselves be able to, to know that they should, you know, take a day or two off and rest? Yeah.
2: I think that's become very important for Scotty and I too, because like we don't have a coach here on deck with us that's accountable really. Like we're accountable to each other. I'm keeping him accountable, you know, and, and vice versa. And um, I guess that's easier for us to kind of keep that mo the motivation and the momentum going, kind of when one's, you know, wanting to have a day off and okay, well and for me, sometimes I want to have the day off and he's, you know, getting on the train and I'm thinking, oh man, now I've got to do it. Sh- oh man, I'm gonna f- he's doing it. I'm going to feel bad if I don't do it. <laughs> he's going to be able to eat ice cream for dessert and I'm not allowed to eat it. <laughs> so I have to do it. So yeah. if I see him doing it, it kind of makes me think, okay, I got to do it um and i'll sit there and he'll face one side of the garage on the trainer and i'll be on the other side both headphones in for us and it's like just don't talk to each other and we'll just we get, it and get it done <laughs> yes but um so yeah having that other person there definitely helps because yeah we're not in camp we don't go to camps anymore we don't we don't do that so we don't have someone there kind of prodding us when we're not motivated it's us um and we recognize I think in each other if he's super tired and I'm really tired, you can see it. Usually the last couple of days. But um yeah, we
0: Well we've worked it out. Take years. Yeah. 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 It takes time. I think that's time. That's you can take we
1: know it. we're very familiar with that. Like training, working, living. Oh like,
2: you guys would know. Uh, yeah, well.
1: absolutely. And <laughs> then and then what about when you're like you're trying to pull something, but they know that it's total bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> like you can call each other on that and uh and well I can <laughs> say I get
0: it a lot for sure well, give us an example give us an example
1: uh when he gets when he gets off the bike and I say well because I'll always ask him how long's your bike
3: <laughs> always ask me how and I'm like well how long your bike 90 minutes or you know two hours I'm not sure yet
1: so then I take a little glance at the clock and then when he gets off the bike I'm like what's up Uh, I'm done. Why? (laughs) Always why? Why? Right? Like just being, being accountable, accountable, not, I'm not his mother, but I am, I feel like I am the other half of his dreams, you know, to really help him get there. And, you know, it's not, it's not always, um, it's not always a breeze. I certainly don't always want to train. I don't always want to train, but I've made a habit now of when the alarm goes off, I've got these two words in my head and they just yell at me every morning, be up. It's very simple. It's just like, be up. And I can't, I can't not listen to those. So it's, I think it's, it's experience is huge. Experience is huge for confidence. Experience is huge for knowing when you're sabotaging yourself. And I think experience is huge for what works for you because sometimes I need – I just need need a day where I'm Mm -hmm. not moving my body. Like you are, I think, like Scotty where you will just chew and chew and chew and chew, but there are some times where you slip off the bike or – you know, you're texting on the bike and it's very, it's distracted, right? So, um, but we know those buttons and we know what their goals are, right? Like we, the four of the two of us and the two of you, like, you know what your dreams are, you know what your goals are. And so I think it's, it's finding that finesse, you know, of, of pushing and backing off and motivating and feeling accountable. But it's a, it's a fine-tuned situation that I think as couples, you get better at over the years. And I oh, love right. that you put the headphones on and you face different directions <laughs> because there's times like where I'll just, I'll leave and I'll say, you're not coming. Right? And then sometimes that's the country. I'm gonna leave the country and you're not coming. I'm gonna go by myself. And so I think being able to take that time to, with yourself and really find out what works for you is, uh, is monumental in your success in life, in all things. All things, so um, we'll get this wrapping up, and I want to see if there's any questions um, from our amazing audience. But what's next for you guys? I know you'll be doing your, um, you know, your summer thing. But what's next? Do you have anything on the
2: schedule? Uh, we'll be both here racing Oceanside cool. in um, April. That's probably going to be the one that that will kick off the year, uh, and then we will probably go to Wildflower. Um, there is another Ironman that may be in the mix there. So, um, but then yeah, June we go to, um, to Switzerland and then we, we pretty much this year we're going over a little later. Um, I qualified for um, 70.3 Worlds in Nice, which I am excited about because I love Nice and it's on my dad's birthday so which he's probably not going to be there for ah trying You're still doing try this triathlon there, <laughs> trying to get them over there trying to get them over there it's going to be awesome captain phil captain need phil needs to come, needs to come. Over for this. so yeah i'm super excited about that can't wait um, so we're going the, you're only allowed 3 months uh, to stay um, in switzerland so we go a little later this year so we can stay longer and wrap up our european racecation with the uh with worlds. Nice. Can't wait. Awesome. And, we're, and we're planning on doing all the same races that, that we usually do. Um, Ironman France, Alpe d'Huez, Emberman. And how can people
1: follow you if they're not already? How can they find you? And also through Keep It Simple as well.
0: Yeah, we're, we're both on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, Keep It Simple, KS Coaching is our, is our future. And um, that's what we're, we're working on now. Half the time, when we're not training, we're constantly thinking and and working towards the future. Uh, for for athletes like Molly back there, who is uh, soon to be a pro female, nice. Uh,
1: yeah,
0: uh, she, she's got to get her back to yoga. Molly. Molly, is the Molly came to
1: my class a couple times.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Oh wow, small world. Do you guys have any, yeah, do questions? Have any questions? Yes. So
4: I'm hearing you guys talking about pulling yourself up in. Race or in the middle of the training, but definitely in the middle of a race. And I wonder if, okay, I'm going to back up and say my husband, among other things, is a pilot. And he has this little checklist that every single pilot goes through every time they're going to fly. Mm-hmm. You see the airline pilots that are going to be going up in the big boys. You see those guys walking around their planes because they have this mm-hmm. checklist. It's the first thing that you learn. As you train, every time you're going to get ready to train, you go through the checklist. And maybe you say, okay, 20 minutes into this ride, or half an hour into this ride. I'm going to go for the checklist something. Yeah. I don't know. So the question,
1: so the question is, just because we're recording this and, yeah. and you don't have a mic, is the question is, what about developing a checklist that becomes a habit that you use in training and racing? And are you specifically talking about physical and mental, kind of like on the checklist, like if you start to, you know, talk about how bad of a biker you are, do this? Well,
4: actually, what I think is that if you have this checklist I mean, it's going to be different for
1: everyone. Right. But whether it's
4: you know, I'm whatever it is, a little self talk I'm as good as I
1: can be right now. So specifically, you're talking about the mental piece. Men, that's that's me- it's more mental. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind yeah. of like your mental checklist when of
4: you're, when, affirmations. Affirmation.
1: When mm. Yes. Right. Your right. When the monkey mind, you become the servant. Swinging from. And the, the, the monkey body mind body. is. So you Yeah, I mean, I think that making, I mean, this essentially to me, like what my checklist is, my daily meditation. So every morning I wake up and I train my mind. I train my mind to have experience independent of commentary in my head. So when the commentary comes in, uh, late stages in a race about how my right hip is going to blow... You know, I know that I have trained my mind and I can put my awareness on something other than the thoughts. So my checklist is, my habitual checklist is every morning getting up, first thing, my meditation, so that I'm training my mind every day. And when I say I'm training my mind, I'm training my awareness to be on something other than the commentary in my head, so that when you know, the shit hits the fan in life or in racing or in training when I don't want to get up and do it. And I have all these excuses about how I don't have to get up and do the training. I can take my awareness away from that and I can put it on um, my breath. And in that space, I can bring, I can focus on something else like, I am great. Last night before we went to bed, I said, I am so grateful for a roof. Like I am, that's how acute my gratitude is at this point in my life. I'm so grateful that I have a roof that I don't have to live outside. I'm so, And I mean that, like, I am so grateful every time I can put an ice cube in my water and have ice water.
0: Maybe that's what you're like, not to cut you off, no. but like when you're out there training and you're having a pity party, go, right. I'm so lucky to be doing this. Like. You know, you're moving.
1: But you gotta practice that. You have to practice that.
4: You have to play the I'm so happy yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Well, right. when
1: if we're focused on the things that are not serving us, those aren't the only things that we can focus on. It's just that we're not focusing on everything else that we can focus on. We so whenever we're we live We live in a world of opposites, okay? This is Yogi Triathlete Podcast, so here we go. We live in a world of opposites. Buckle up. Buckle up. (laughs) So if we are focused on low vibrational thoughts, like I don't want to get up and take this step towards my goal and fulfilling my dream, that doesn't mean that that's the only thing that you can focus on. There is a whole bunch of other things that you can focus on in that moment. It's just that that thought is the only thing that feels like it's true. So for most people, because their awareness is constantly merged in with their thoughts, there's no space there. They think that those thoughts are the only things that are available. But when you make a practice, a habit of pulling your awareness away from that commentary and put it on your breath, put it on your breath, it's the simplest way to get present. Then you start to create space and you realize like, oh, these are just thoughts. They're not truth. And so if they're there, what is it that I'm not seeing? What, what, el- what else can I focus on? I can focus on the opposite. Because if we're, there's all, if we walk into a room and we turn on the light, there's no more darkness, right? There's no more darkness when we flip that light on. So in that darkness, there's always light available. We're just not focusing on it. So that's that's what I do, and obviously I'm a little passionate about it. But I mean, I think that you guys would agree, like you it's experience is huge, and you have to practice it. When you don't we do every when, day in training. Yeah, when you don't want to get up, it's just like the physical training. It's just nobody ever taught us to train our minds this way, but we know that we can change the neural pathways in our brain. And so it's just like when you don't want to get up and train, get up and train. Choose it. Mm-hmm. There's another option there. And the other option is to get up and show up and do the work. Mm -hmm. Nailed it. Yeah. Did that answer your question? Like I think having a checklist mm -hmm. and making.
3: But you practice practice it. So to to dial it into triathlon, you can practice it. I see this all the time. In the pool. Just count your laps. Count your stroke. Like Jerry has us like super present. And like feel what it feels like to, to put that stroke in. And then that stroke. And then the next one. Feel that in training. Feel it. Don't zone out. Don't put the the H2O audio things on or whatever, like, in in the automatic watch. Look up at the pool clock. Be in it. If you have to do 10 100s, be in every 100. Feel what it feels like to put your hand in the water and to kick and to do the flip turn.
1: That's practicing presence. That's practicing presence Mm -hmm. in practice.
3: So you're not waiting till race day and you do 100 meters, the race starts, and you're freaking out because you don't have enough breath. Like, that's not the time to practice it. The time to practice it is... Every experience that you can put yourself into in the pool with other people. Crowd up your lane. You know, you get to the pool, you get to Monroe Street up here. Everybody and you,
1: get in this lane. <laughs> yeah, you've got,
3: you've got your own lane. Go in with somebody else. Like, like, feel, like feel that. and Put yourself in the situation so that you're not shocked when it comes on race day. Yeah,
1: and I think that's what you're saying. Like, it's not, yeah. it's not brand new on race day. Like, you're, yeah. you've practiced it and you've made it a habit. Anyone else? Cut, Laura? <laughs> Raise a hand high. Number one, you are worthy of raising <laughs> that hand high. All right.
4: Um, I would be interested in some tips about, for those of us that are working full time jobs, 40, 60, 80 hours a week, uh, kind of how to balance Right. all, right? So, you um, BJ always coaches us to, you know, you get to. I get to work a full time job, and I love my job, but I also love track mom. So, being able to balance both those things within a daylight hours in the winter, right? Um, how are some of the ways that you navigate that before you move to part-time and then move to this
1: full-time? So the question is just for Scotty and Carrie is, is how do you balance when you are working full-time and you love your job, but you love triathlon too? What are some tips?
2: Yeah, I mean, that was, you know, a time where, you know, you would... I would always be up riding at 5 a.m. Uh, you know, I, I was on the Sunshine Coast at home and we had group rides that would go at 5 a.m. and two days a week I'd do the 5 a.m. group rides. Um, two days I would swim with a group at 5 a.m. Like it's just, the balance, it's tricky. And it's becomes even harder when you have a life outside of work and triathlon and you have you know friends that you have a social life uh, or you have kids or so you're bringing everything in it's fine balance um and i think you have to manage your week in a way that you aren't wearing yourself down like it's there's only a certain amount of time you can get up like how long can you get up at 5am for every day work a full day and then you know have time to you know, even go out and see a friend for dinner or cook yourself a dinner. Like it just, there's, you know, there's a, there's a balance there that, um, you know, I really try and um, teach athletes that, you know, I train that the sessions during the week, they're typically shorter. That's just what you have time for. You have to set time. And um, those sessions that you do during the week in the shortest amount of time there for you, and what's going to make you stronger, and what's going to get the results for you the fastest without, you know, totally wiping you on your ass. Then the weekends, I mean, you have you have all weekend to to play if you if you're not, you know, with family and um, if you have kids. So it's it's a hard balance. The best thing, I mean, if you have a coach that knows and can work with you about, they really need to understand what's going on in your life. What, you know, what makes you thrive? What's gonna, you know, cook you? So if you have someone that you're accountable to that really understands the demands that you have on you because training is a stress, work is a stress, social lives sometimes are stressful So it's just working out how you can manage all of that the best you can. And a coach can help you with that. Um, You know what helps. You know what you need to do and how much time that you can give to triathlon, how much time you can give to work, how much time you can give to your friends. But if you can have someone that can understand that and help you kind of guide you with that, pull you back when you need to, um, I think that helps. I have, you know, one athlete in particular, She um, she's a teacher, loves what she does. Training for her, it, it's a bit of an out. You know, she needs it um, because, you know, it makes her feel good. But, you know, I've got to pull her back a lot um, because it it's tiring. She gets up at, you know, 4.30 and, you know, happy to do the trainer sessions and great, she can do them. But, you know, I'll, it comes to a point where... If it continues, then she's sick for a week, two weeks. And then you go backwards. So all of that consistency that you build, you're just constantly going back and forward. So, yeah, finding the balance and what works for you that's not adding stress. It's experience, working with a coach or getting you in with groups. You, that do,
0: you do triathlon to enhance your life. Don't let yeah, it consume you. Exactly. And when you, when you miss a session... Move on. It's done. Tomorrow is a new opportunity. It. So Dumb. don't even worry about it. Put it out of your mind. And don't, don't if you use training peaks, don't use the red the red and the yellow. It's a terrible idea. No don't idea why they came up with that. <laughs> and, and yeah, we have a very good relationship with training peaks, but terrible idea. It's such a negative <laughs> into people's minds.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. It is, yeah, but yeah. I think that what you just said is so you important. You can turn it off. And we learned this, like, early on when we started doing triathlon is, like, if you miss a workout just say goodbye to it and move on Mm. because especially if you're training for Ironman like you are just try and start making up workouts is going to add more stress and and pressure and exhaustion to your journey and you do it because you want it I love how you said that you do triathlon because you want to it enhances your life and so that's a good question like is 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 when things are piling up, you know, and that's why you've got BJ who can switch it on the fly for you to, and that's what I love. I love having a coach. I've always had a coach. Even before BJ coached, I had a coach because I just loved when somebody took the weight off for me and said, you know what? You're done for like two days. Just don't. And, And you do that sometimes. Like don't, have you gotten that workout yet? Don't swim, don't bike, don't run. Have you had that day yet? That's the best day. I love that day. I'm like, what can I do to get that <laughs> it's on my training be careful training what plan you again. wish for.
3: You know, you put in the right. notes, like, I'm talk- like, be careful what you say. Because when you say, you, you give your true feelings, like, you may get two or three days off. And you have to be okay with that.
1: Right. So and there's that, that See, kind of that mental, that mental training the, again. Right. It really is a chance to, to be okay with, um, it shows you your attachment. It shows you that relationship that you have, you know, that you have an identity, Laura, outside of that. And it's okay to let a workout go if that's what needs to happen. And nobody's gonna judge you on it, right? Nobody judges, like, our, we're the hardest on ourselves. But that's what I love is that, you know, BJ can lift that off for you if you allow that to be lifted so that you can move forward. Lupe? My biggest fear is getting injured, so how
4: do you guys have injuries? Like, how do you guys,
1: <laughs> uh the question is um fear of injury and um to use your words lupe uh to scotty and carrie is how do you make sure that you don't get injured <laughs>
0: you guys haven't never been injured
1: <laughs> and I, oh i just heard the universe laugh by the way
0: well what are you afraid of a running injury a swimming injury or a bike injury or running the reality is we don't run enough as triathletes that warrants a major injury. I remember I, one of the coaches that influenced me was Dr. Uh, Joe Vigil, who trained out of Alamosa State in New Mexico. Unbelievable human being. Had the most historic cross-country program in the world, Division II. And I listened to him speak one time, and and they, it was like kind of like a podcast like this, before there were podcasts. And he... There were questions, and someone asked him like like you 're asking about injuries and he said i have uh, I have housewives in Al- Alamosa that run eighty ninety miles a week. Your body it was built to run you just have to callous it enough so that 's mm-hmm. where having a coach comes into play mm-hmm. slowly you you callous your body because training is for more training. you train and then the race is your celebration, and then you recover mm-hmm. train some more so that then you can race at a new level, and then recover and repeat, and try not to run more than like two days in a row, if you have a, a you know a real concern about it. Yeah. Because your bones need to have your bones and your ligaments need to be able to recover from from those consecutive days of running. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Do so you guys roll, massage, or how do you guys stay at your best? Well, triathlon is. You're swimming. I swim a lot. So that's like compression and a massage. Carrie gets massage, and actually, um, we see Gino from Function Smart, who's here, is our uh, our local physical therapist. So when there's a problem, we go and see Gino. But day to day, your riding, riding is stretching you. Your swimming is compressing your muscles, and believe it or not, running can can stretch you out as well. But there are – take advice from your coach. If your coach gives you a stretching routine or – as I'm getting older, I'm going back and doing <laughs> running uh, drills, movement stuff because I'm, I'm getting tighter and mm-hmm. I feel it. So now I'm paying attention. Creaking, I'm, I'm present. Tracking. I'm <laughs> present now. Yeah. Whereas for a good eight years, did nothing.
1: Yeah, I can tell you that as you know, as a massage therapist for a long time um, in Boulder, so working with Ironman champions and and professional rock climbers. I mean, it's you know, it's like athlete heaven there. And triathletes were always the the best packaged, balanced bodies. Mm-hmm. Like I worked with a lot of runners or climbers, and it was always the triathletes that just had the balance. Everywhere, so um, and we can work on that fear. You know that. <laughs> that's yeah. That's no problem. Uh, all right. I think we're gonna wrap it up because we've already gotten over. You guys have been a gracious audience. Thank you so much. Thank you, Canyon. Thank you, Scotty and Carrie. If you guys have any other questions for us after we shut these mics down, please um, don't be shy.
0: Wait, wait. Can what? you tell us what's on your schedule? Maybe the guys want to know.
1: Oh. Why don't you go first? Oh, What's your schedule?
3: <laughs> I've got one thing on my mind in Santa Rosa, Ironman Santa Rosa in okay. May. So,
0: Oceanside before? Or no,
3: no. I try. I, I went last year, and, and um, I was to see. This is me looking at a past experience, basing on my performance. I didn't have a great experience in Oceanside. Um, I did work the information booth the two days before.
1: Not, um, a, but that was an experience. Yeah, it was you had an experience I had to have. That was my one legs. of those things as a couple where I was like, "What the hell is he doing? <laughs> spending I had to like see 20 it. hours on his feet before he races." <laughs> but so let him Santa have Rosa,
3: it. Santa Rosa, and then I'm going to go back and do Utah's toughest, which is James oh, yeah, yeah, Ironman yeah, Iron awesome Cowboys power. race in August.
1: Yeah, and then Kona. Yeah. There we go, because that's gonna happen in I know, right? We're all like waiting. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> Beach. Come on, Beach. <laughs> Let's get the confidence. Um, and for me, I am currently on the wait list for the Lake Sonoma 50 Miler, which um, I have no doubt that I'm gonna get into. So my training has not changed. I am gonna go for that 50 miler, and then a week after I'm gonna do the Mendocino 50K which I've done the last couple of years, which is an amazing, amazing race. And then I just signed up for my first 100K. I'm doing the Havalina 100 at the end of October. So um, now I'm getting into super dangerous territory doing 100K and hanging out with a lot of girls that are doing 100 milers. So, um, but that's what I've got on my, on my schedule and swimming, Jerry's sea recovery swim sessions are for me. And I laugh at like, BJ puts in like 70%. So I I was thinking the other day, I'm like, I am going like 30% and loving it. So um, yeah, I went, switched over to ultra running last year, sold my tri bike after 12 years of triathlon, Ironman, half Ironmans, loved it and um, spent too too many hours on the trainer watching ultra running documentaries. And I was like, they can walk. (laughs) <laughs> they can walk. <laughs> I want that. So, um, but I found um, a love that uh, I never knew I had for running. So, yeah, hundred k. I'm super psyched. I'm so excited. So we'll see how it goes.
4: Wow! Ah, yeah. Cool.
1: All right. Good for you. you. Hope you guys loved this episode. Scott and Carrie are a wealth of information and they were so generous with what they shared with us all. If you've been enjoying the show or perhaps putting some of what you take away into action, how about leaving a review on iTunes for us? Actually, how about this? Leave a review in January and get yourself in the running to win a sweet Yogi Triathlete trucker hat from Boco Gear. Cool? All right, cool. So... The day that this podcast launches is usually a day when New Year's resolutions are already a thing of the past. So if that happened to you, don't even sweat it because right now is a brand new moment. And in this moment, you have a chance to begin again. No matter what is happening in your life situation or training or racing, you always have an opportunity to reset. And that, I think, is one of the greatest gifts in life. You know, the past vanishes into nothingness as soon as it happens, and the future is only a concept. It's now, right now, that we have the opportunity to craft that concept into our reality. Now is all we ever have, and never will there be a time that that is not true.